for a long time, I was numb and in shock. And when I opened my mouth to pray, I couldn't form a word on my lips. And when I did cry out, it felt like my words were bouncing off the ceiling. And later, I would describe that time as the dark night of my soul. Hey everyone, I'm Mary DeMuth and this is the Restory Show and today I have Marilyn Weisenberg with me and she's written a book called Empty Branch, a memoir. Marilyn, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for inviting me, Mary. Now tell the listeners a little bit about your origin story. Where did you grow up? I know that you grew up in the great Pacific Northwest like me, but uh, where'd you grow up? How'd you meet Christ, husband, kids, all that kind of stuff? Okay. Yes, I grew up in the great Pacific Northwest. I was born and raised in Portland, Oregon. And I still live here after almost 64 years. And um, I, um, I met Jesus when I was in high school. Uh, a buddy of mine invited me to youth group. And I went, not reluctantly, I went willingly. And I was excited to go because I had seen a big change in his life. And it was there that I trusted Jesus. And a year later, a tall young man trusted Jesus there as well. And we began dating. And um, and several years later, we went to Bible school together. And after that, we got married, had four children, and now it's been 43 years. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of gears. Good job. Mm-hmm. So uh, what story do you want to share today with the Restory listeners? Mm. I'd like to talk today about um, compounded loss and my personal lament, and how God showed up and broke through the deep fog of my grief that seemed to envelop me. Um, So I will begin that story in the year uh, 2003, and it kind of goes through 2003, 2004, and I'll try to just give, you know, like the highlights, um, which were really several lowlights, Um, so all four of my children were adults by then, and we were experiencing the empty nest years. My daughter was a surgical nurse. My oldest son was, uh, had finished four years, um, as an army, um, chaplain's assistant. And he was then studying afterwards at Portland State University. And he was in his third year at Portland State. One of our twin sons was um, studying at the University of Nebraska, and the other twin was deployed in Iraq with the Marines. And, um, and also, my oldest son, David, while he was studying at Portland State, he had joined the Oregon National Guard. So a lot of changes every year with those kids, it seemed like. At the time, I was working at our church, in youth ministry, and um, I loved my job. I loved the girls that I worked with. The bulk of my time was spent shepherding young women and the volunteer women um, in the youth group. And I was in my, about my eighth year and going strong. I also had a degenerative nerve disease that was very painful and it was limiting me quite a bit. I actually used 
a wheelchair um, when I couldn't stand for long periods of time or go on walks. So um, that was about the time that I began studying the meaning of lament and what that looked like specifically to me. And um, as I was embarking on this journey of not knowing where my health was taking me, and the health losses were great, um, especially regarding my work and the high energy of youth group and um, and what I was, what I couldn't do and what was limiting me. And and then having our son Jason in a war zone produced a lot of anxiety. Um, I I had my cell phone glued to me all the time, hoping for a phone call. They were, you know, infrequent, um, but I had that thing glued to me. And um, I had faith in the Lord, but I also wasn't naive to the fact that he was in a hot war zone. It was when the war first started. And he volunteered to drive a fuel truck. Wow. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Scary. (laughs) Yeah, well, we didn't know it at the time. And as his deployment with the Marines was winding down and he was about to come home, the Oregon National Guard unit that our son David was in was deployed to Iraq. So Jason came home. We had two weeks with our entire family. And David David took off with the National Guard to Fort Hood for further training. So when he, let me back you up just a little bit. When he signed up for the National Guard, did he... Did he do it like, oh, I want to do this because it'll help me pay for my education? Or was he like, I, I know that this actually could mean that I get deployed? Well, he did it before um, before we entered war with Iraq. So so he did it with the purpose of college funds. Um, and he did it because he loved being in the military. He loved the nobility of it. and um, And so... With him being deployed, after Jason had just gotten home, I felt like the wind was knocked out of me and just trying to process him going to a hot war zone after Jason had just returned. You probably felt like you were you had just finished letting your breath out. <laughs> oh, exactly. That's yeah. exactly how I felt. And this time he wasn't going as a chaplain's assistant. This time he was deployed with the cavalry, which is on the front lines. And um, so in the meantime, Jason comes home and he gets engaged and gets married a month later and our heads are spinning. And um, in the meantime, we're selling our home and a new home is being built for us in a suburb outside of Portland. And our daughter and future son-in-law got engaged and um, and they are planning their wedding for David's return um, during his leave um, at the following August, in August 2004. So with a son deployed to Iraq and um, a daughter getting married and a move a month before the wedding and continuing to work, my body was just screaming at me. Um, I lamented that at age 50, my abilities were drastically changing and I needed more help with everyday responsibilities. And I, um, 
I carried this dread about David being in Iraq, and it was just this sense in me that he might not be coming home. And I was kind of obsessed with with um, him coming home for Elizabeth's wedding and getting a picture, a family picture taken. I wanted that so badly. And he was able to make it home safely for 15 days and was at Elizabeth's wedding. We had our family picture taken. And then it was time 15 days later to for him to leave. And we were able to walk to the gate with him at the airport and said our long goodbye. And um, everything screamed in me not to let him get on that plane. The, the mama bear came out in me and I wanted to protect my son from going back to a, a war zone. And I thought, who in their right mind sends their son back to a war zone? And we watched the plane take off and my husband and I cried unabashedly in the middle of the airport. A week later, I was asked to meet with my boss at work, and I was given the news that my position at work had been eliminated. And they were making budget cuts at the church, and three women lost their job. And I felt like I had just been blindsided. The loss was great. And I wondered how I would navigate a loss like that in the community at church where I was attending. Right, because this is where you have been going for how long? Um, since, oh, probably 15 years. Yeah, so if you walk back into the sanctuary after you've lost your job, there's all sorts of memories and people and reminders. And yeah, that would be very hard. Exactly, yeah. So... Um, a favorite hymn of mine came quickly to mind when I was processing it all, and that, that's the one, um, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And that following week, that's what came to me in the night hours, you know, when I was stressing and worried and sad to, to say goodbye to those students you know, on Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. As I felt confused and bewildered, that's what came to mind. Exactly a week later, on September 13th, 2004, at 5.30 in the afternoon, after Jim and I had both returned home from work, two men in dress uniforms came to our door. And they delivered the worst news a parent can hear. They, they didn't need to open their mouths. We, we knew what military protocol was. We knew what they were about to say. We knew what their presence meant. And um, in my book, Empty Branch, I could describe that scene this way, if you don't mind if I read a couple paragraphs. So a major is, is telling us the news, and as he spoke the words, it felt to both of us as though a heavy weight had crashed down through the ceiling and landed on our backs. Unable to stand and bear the news, we both collapsed on the carpeted floor, gasping for air. 
the devastating weight of a child's death was unbearable. It was as though shards of a shattered glass ceiling were swirling through the air and hitting the floor all around Jim and myself. Broken. All was broken. Broken hopes, broken dreams, broken hearts, broken lives, broken family, broken son. Everything around us exploded when those words were spoken. Would the destructive dust ever settle? The heavy weight of the major's words kept me face down. I was screaming and clawing at the floor as though I were searching for a cavern in the carpet into which I could crawl and hide. It seemed as though all the colors of this world had been bleached away, as though life's ongoing musical accompaniment had screeched to an eerie halt. Yeah, that's one reason why I really enjoyed your book, because you're a beautiful writer and you capture grief so beautifully and so poignantly. Um, just to use two adverbs right there, but um, <laughs> I shouldn't do that. Uh, but it, it, I, I cannot relate to what you went through. That's not a story that I have, but you portrayed it as the devastation that it was. And I can imagine feeling like my breath had been stolen away from me. And so as soon after, uh, pretty soon after you learned how he had died, can you let us know a little bit about that? Sure. I would be happy to. So, well, you know, like you would imagine the, the church community surrounded us and, and we, um, we so appreciated their presence as I numbly walked through my house or sat while they surrounded us. We went to church the following Sunday, and it just happened to be the Sunday that they were supposed to announce the, my position that was eliminated, but, but they let go of that. They did not announce that. But during the worship service, something that just made me gasp was um, an Englishman stood up, and he, it was kind of an open worship time, and he stood up, and he recited all the verses of on Christ the solid rock I stand all of and I I gasped because I just had this sense of how intimate the Lord is and how he saw me in my suffering and um it it just it just blew me away for a long time I was numb and in shock. And when I opened my mouth to pray, I couldn't form a word on my lips. And when I did cry out, it felt like my words were, were bouncing off the ceiling. And later I would describe that time as the dark night of my soul. And I, I, every once in a while I would have feelings that I would come out of the numbness and most of my feelings were anger. And my anger was directed towards war and destruction and death and violence. And, um, and, and the pain in my, in my physical body, you know, the emotional pain was playing havoc with my physical pain. And I was beginning to entertain the thoughts of, what good is my value right now? Um, 
but the Lord impressed on my heart and in my mind that he had grace for my journey of grief and lament. He gave me the grace like it was a wide open space and that I could take as long as I needed. I didn't need to be a, on a timeline, despite what um, some well-meaning friends wanted me to move on and just move along. It's mess. It's so messy and uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for some churchgoers. Uh, it oftentimes we want to wrap up things in a nice, neat little bow and you know move along. And it wasn't like that for me at all. I actually don't think it's like that for anyone because we, it's a long process. And I do think that the church doesn't do grief very well. We really do like that bow tied up and we, we want people to be better immediately. And uh, grief is something that visits you for years. I mean, it's a long journey and to try to short change it or not uh, to make it short for your own comfort because you're tired of someone else's grief is yeah. it's just not going to work no, <laughs> in the long it's run. Not. I, it's not. There were, um, so there were many times I just wanted to stay in bed and um, I felt like my hope would was dwindling. And then, and then the Lord would um, just show up, be present and, um, the fog of grief would envelop me once again, and I'd see him break through that fog. So one day, I began to paint to depict all those times where the Lord showed up. And my heart felt lifted up as I began de depicting what his presence looked like to me. And I ended up on that same living room floor where I heard the worst news. And I was face down on the living room floor with the Bible opened in front of me and for some reason I was in Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy 32 specifically verses 26 and 27 and this is what I read Mary um, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides on the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms so when I thought about, I laid there and I was thinking about how my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling and I couldn't reach him, but I realized he was there all along, his strong, tender, compassionate arms underneath me. He was pursuing me. And so often I read the Psalms of lament and, um, I started writing my own personal laments, not out of despair, but with a fierceness in the midst of my grief and sorrow. I was clinging on to him and my faith with all my might. And he, with his strong, compassionate arms were underneath, were underneath me. So yep, I walk with an emotional limp and a deep sorrow and for the last 13 and a half years there has been layer after layer of grief exposed um when a new grandchild is born or um 
when when we simply get together as a family and he's not there to experience it with us, the grief, the waves of grief can ebb and flow. And um, it used to be a, a crashing wave. And those waves have, got, have gotten softer through the years. I wouldn't say it's easier. I would say it's softer. And what I know is that we grieve deeply because we love deeply. And I also know that I walk with a God who sees me and loves me and um, is present with me through it all. That's good news. It's hard news. And I appreciate your even bringing up the idea of lament, because as I said before, we just don't lament well. We don't grieve well as a church. And that's one of the things that has helped me. I remember a time when we were in France and our kids were just having a hard time with it. And we wrote and created our own laments. We created them with uh, like cutting out magazine pictures and kind of like what life was like before we moved and how it was now and just help giving my children the space to grieve what was lost. There was something really powerful about that. And, and I think our listeners uh, today would be encouraged to know that there's so many lament psalms out there that they begin with really honest things <laughs> and not all of them end well like most of them do most of them end with yet I will praise you God <laughs> but there are a few that don't and and I think that's beautiful too because not every story I mean your son was not resurrected to be you know back in Oregon with you he is resurrected in another way but um but you never will see him on this earth and so there are some things that there's no happy ending to that story other than your growth and your uh, you know experiencing the constancy of Christ so as you look back um uh as a mom uh when you found out how he died how did you how did you work through that in your mind because it was not an easy death. It wasn't. Uh, it was a violent death. It was a violent death, and um, that that question brings uh, tears because it's been one of the hardest things I've ever had to work through. Um, when the major told us about David's death, uh, I remember repeatedly asking him, "How did he die?" I couldn't. I couldn't wrap my head around that there was gunfire and there was an IED and I could only imagine what happened to him, what happened, you know, this is gruesome, but what happened to his body? And, um, and I don't know all the de details. I have chosen not to know all the details my husband does. I, I can't wrap my head around it. Um, I've had to um, not so much let it go, but know that that he's whole and complete with Jesus now. Right, right. He's not experiencing pain. Uh, as you look back on, you know, you lost your job, and you probably were wondering, why did this happen? Mm -hmm. uh, and yes. you're losing your health. Why did that happen? Uh, what kinds of things has God shown you about the whys of those two things? That those whys aren't always answered. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> he's, 
he's shown me that he is a wild and mysterious God and we're not going to have all the answers and um, I'm not going to know for certain why. I can see where he has redeemed so many things and shown me more of himself and I've gotten to know him on a more intimate level. Um, but the wise, I just don't know. Right. And that's, I think that's part of the broken hallelujah that we experience here on earth is we just don't have all of the answers. Um, final couple questions. What advice would you give to someone who has gone through something similar in terms of grief? Mm. Well, I sure love your story of what you did in France with your children. I, uh, and I would definitely encourage the writing of lament and if and if someone doesn't know what that looks like read the psalms um, <laughs> and you'll find them there um i think one of my pieces of advice would be if you have a child no matter what age and they have died please know that you're not alone um Know that there are communities available to come alongside you and support you. And if your loved one died in the military, um, it doesn't have to be in war, but if they died in the military, there's a community called TAPS that is available 24-7 to come alongside any family member, not just the parents or the wife, but any family member. 24-7, um, you can call them. And and there's also other grief groups for non-military deaths, um, like Compassionate Friends or Grief Share, or there's online grief groups, but I would highly rec recommend being a part of a grief group. And then, of course, I would recommend um, finding a, a counselor that specializes in grief. My, my grief counselor was my anchor and still is a vital part of my life. And she was the one that pointed me to hope when, when I felt there wasn't any left. Um, I would say navigating grief in the family structure can be really challenging and daunting at times. And your grief counselor can help you through that. Right, because you have your own grief, but then you had also the weight of the grief of your children and your husband, too. So that's a lot of grief to carry around. There's a lot of dynamics going on. Yeah. Um, there are some pastors that just aren't equipped for counseling during ongoing grief. And, um, and I hope that it's changing. Um, that there are, I know there are pastors out there that can sit with someone day after day or week after week during their ongoing grief journeys. But sad to say, there are others that simply can't do it. Grief is messy. It's uncomfortable to be uncomfortable. Um, and give yourself permission to walk away from, from someone who is just very uncomfortable be it a pastor or not, and find a grief counselor. Community is really important, but also the right community and uh, the, also not a cliched community that just wants to throw a Bible verse your way. <laughs> that doesn't really help. It doesn't help at all. And, and 
and that's easy to do that um, when you haven't been trained and a lot of seminaries don't have extensive training on on how to deal with a family and grief um, and I hope that's changing too yeah I hope so too I think that's a good thing how has God restoried you in the past year so there's a couple things um, I started writing my book empty branch um, about five years ago and I submitted my manuscript to credo communications and um, last year last summer in August they they published my book so that was pretty exciting I didn't expect it and um, I it's given me um, a bigger audience to speak to and to um, to speak of hope and to speak of redemption and and recently I uh, my daughter and I um, about a month ago returned from a trip to North Africa and we have a friend that lives there who cares for some families and one of the families lost their young son to cancer and our friend invited us to come and grieve with her and this family and I've never been to Northern Africa and I've never met this family but I felt like this is an opportunity to bring the church to a place where they don't feel seen and they don't feel heard. And this is a, a place to go and grieve and weep with this family. And, and so we went and um, we heard their stories through a translator and we wept with them and we, we became fast friends and I think where God restored me is that my heart has been enlarged for the, these people and I carry a love and a new friendship with these people and through the magic of Skype and FaceTime and WhatsApp we can stay connected and and the language isn't a barrier um, we connected through our eyes and through our arms and um, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment to be there. I think about the story of Job and how his friends were awesome right away and then they were really unawesome once they opened their mouths. But the first thing they did was they just sat with him and wept and wept with him. And so it doesn't you don't need language to be able to sit with someone and weep with them or listen. And so that's important. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. And that's, you know, oftentimes that was all we could do is sit with them because I don't know Arabic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so true. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know it's a, a difficult one, so I appreciate you um, dignifying us by sharing your story today. Thank you, Marilyn. Thank you so much, Mary. Thanks for listening to the Restory Show today. Mind if I pray for you? I would love that. Awesome. Jesus, thank you for Marilyn, and thank you for this beautiful, difficult, tangled story of grief. And yet we know that on Christ the solid rock, I stand all other ground is shifting sand. And so we're so grateful for the solid rock of you, Jesus. And we can't make sense of all the grief, but we know that you grieve alongside, that you were a man of sorrows, and uh, 
I pray for the person today listening to this podcast who's grieving, who's lost someone very important to them, and they feel like people have just tried to throw a scripture band-aid on them or, or uh, wanted them to be on a short grieving adventure instead of a long one like it typically is. And I pray you'd send people into their lives who will just sit and listen and will um, listen to their stories of grief. And Father, I pray there would be more pastors out there who know how to grieve alongside we, um, we live in a broken world, Jesus, but you understand those who are broken, so we're so grateful for that. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So if you'd like to know more about today's show, you can go to RestoryShow.com for the latest episode. And uh, also, I have a new podcast called PrayEveryDay.show, and that's where I pray uh, for you for five minutes every single day, 365 days a year, 366 if there's a uh, leap year, and it's all based on scripture. So if you're interested in that, check that out, and may you live a brand new story this week.